Namaste. So if we look at uh, the life divine, we see that following the scheme of the Gita, first six chapters, next six chapters, the last six chapters, in book one, first 28 chapters, Shubhindo lays the all the broad outline of this creation, cosmos, God and man. But there are many details which have to be worked out. Every, there are many gaps to be yet filled. We have a broad overview, but there are gaps in our understanding. And these gaps he will fill us in the next 14 chapters, book 2, part 1. And take it to a grand culmination by not only filling up the gaps, but giving it the final finish that the creator has in his mouth. Uh, divine thought, if you want to put it like that, uh, in the um, part 2 of book 2. So it is like he is revealing to us the entire blueprint and now he is filling in all the gaps, especially this book 2, part 1 is about reconciling the opposites because in our actual experience of this world and our understanding of God through the mind, and also through spiritual experience. We experience this seemingly irreconcilable opposites. On one side there is this Jada Prakarti, matter. And on the other side there is the conscious soul. On, as Shubhinda puts it in Savitri as the limiting nature and a limitless soul. So the soul can soar beyond the firmaments. And there is this nature which is very limited when it comes back into it. On one side we have this cosmos which presents the figure of a complete, uh, a vast, incomprehensible something which is expanding in space and time which themselves we do not know uh, in on what basis. On the other side we have the divine who apparently is the cause and source of all this. So there are several um, oppositions, mutually contradictions, contradicting experiences that meet us and it is so because the faculty with which we try to understand is reason. And reason has this, um, reason applies the logic of the finite. So logic of the finite is, <laughs> if it is so, it is not so. And it compares and contrasts. So there is a very interesting conversation of the mother in the agenda where she says that we have gone past that age when it was either this or that. Now we have entered an age where there is this and this. So meaning, meaning thereby, we are entering an age of synthesis. So Shurabindo in one sense ushered in this age of synthesis. Before Shurabindo, we see that there are hints towards synthesis, attempts towards synthesis. But there is synthesis is actually missing. The death key, the supramental key is missing. It is glimpsed. It is here and there hinted. But it's fullness, it's full effulgence. It's like we are seeing, oh the sun is going to come, I can feel it. Um, maybe someone has seen the sun. Traveling to other pole, <laughs> but <laughs> to the experience of humanity, its warmth, its splendor is yet concealed. So here we see these, uh, this whole book two can part one. He is reconciling, reconciling. On one side there is the infinite, and on the other side which we have the finite. Now infinite by its definition is not in addition of finite. That is understood because. Even mathematically you can add up all the numbers and yet it doesn't create infinity. It's something which exists in its own right and it can to every number. That is the beauty of the infinite. Though it exists in its own right, it is an independent reality. At the same time it can play with numbers. 
you can multiply things by infinite you can divide things by infinite and by doing that uh, um, you know it it creates something very interesting like when you divide 1 by 0 it can give rise to infinite because it's potentially you can keep on dividing it at the end you have the infinite so uh, on the other side the logic of the finite which is based on division which is based on ignorance doesn't apply to the uh, magic or the logic of the infinite so shobindu is revealing to us the logic of the infinite how he operates why he does what he does and what is this creation and this cosmos so chapter 1 so the part 1 is book 2 is the knowledge and the ignorance the spiritual evolution so it's very clear we experience ignorance and there is of course the state of knowledge of which we have been told and that knowledge is not just about knowledge the way we understand because our knowledge is actually in ignorance because we do not know the whole now that is a knowledge of the whole and there is yet a greater transcendence which transcends knowledge and ignorance and uses both so that's a different level altogether and part 1 is the infinite consciousness and the ignorance so what is the relation between the two is what he is revealing to us chapter 1 is indeterminates cosmic determinations and the indeterminable this is very simple to uh, understand in the sense in 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 this creation anything which we observe at its bottom it enters into a indeterminate take for example that how is matter created so we are told it's the result of atoms electrons protons well there is a big gap we don't know exactly so atoms electrons protons are energy particles what determines and that's where the determinism comes in that atoms electrons neutrons protons will come together and create what we experience as matter so this is one kind of an indeterminate state from out of which determination uh, determ- it determines matter to use that language so what really is in it which determines that their combination will create not only one type of matter but variety of matters <laughs> it's okay if it gave rise to one object or one form but you know there is a very interesting book i had read um the end of science is written by a um science journalist beautiful book and he had done a lot of study went around uh, spoke to a lot of uh, nobel laureates at the end he said we still don't know why there is something instead of nothing in this universe because <laughs> if you really it is strange that why there is something at all so we say that objects are the result of uh, you know combination of uh, atoms and atoms the combination but why there are objects the question remains unanswered um then the second uh, we experience the same dilemma when we see uh, genes uh, giving rise to the phenomena of life again what is there in genes which itself determines life in a certain form or to take another very simple examine common place example and unfortunately in schools we are not taught this way so in school you ask a child how is the how is water what is water and a child will say that um, hydrogen and oxygen two and one combination creates water and the teacher gives full marks that's memory why is it that two things which are completely gaseous in nature they come together and create a liquid with completely new properties 
totally different properties so this is an unsolved puzzle i know today people are trying to resolve this puzzle trying to answer this but this is another thing where we experience a state of an indeterminate state but within which a determine something which will determine the end product is same and it's not chaotic every time you combine it will come like that so as if there is a law which will fix its form by this combination and the same thing we experience in life and same thing we experience in all creation genes will combine they will give rise to such a wide variety of living beings which is unimaginable now this logically is only possible if you know we are told that everywhere there is one reality and it is um, if only this one reality is immanent in everything and on that stable basis which is everywhere there is this dance of energy going on otherwise it's not possible let's take for example because everything is interconnected let's take for example that there is the lord in every mansion who is accessible to the master worker who is going here there and everywhere he is accessible to whom you can ask and you can draw and you can create and build so there is this one consciousness which is complete in the seed in the tree in the water in the gas in the atom in the molecules in the old man in the sky the sea everywhere it is the same one indivisible consciousness and this one indivisible consciousness gives rise to cosmos in which we see an order if there was not this one single basis everywhere we will not see order it be chaotic wherever you know if there is no reference point let's put it like that no single common reference reference point then this endless variety will lead to chaos it's like you know when we paint without a common reference point we'll build up chaos or when a person with a disordered brain disordered brain begins to speak there'll be chaos but if there is a single reference point which is the same throughout unchanging immutable then the creatrix power the divine maya it will create variety of forms and yet they will be ordered they will be connectedness because the reference point is the same the indwelling universal the same one transcendent reality so there are the indeterminates which is there and the cosmic determinations and then the indeterminable the indeterminate means that which you cannot measure and you cannot bind by quantity or anything and indeterminable is uh, indeterminate is which you could not it is there but you could not like space and time are indeterminates so you cannot determine the extent of space because it is ever changing and what was the origin of time one cannot determine that but in a certain sense you see that determinate cosmic determinisms proceed from that but indeterminable is which something which there is no way one can ever measure one can ever put into any kind of uh, system or name form nothing but it is the one which assumes all names and forms so here shurbindo reconciles it beautifully by saying that it there in our myths in a very interesting way all names are names of the nameless all forms are forms of the formless so formless and form we take it as two often opposites because that's how the mind operates but if you look at this universe everything has a formless side and a form side and one of the examples which i often give love is does it have a form so at one level it is formless it's an essence of thing one may just experience it does it have a form yes it may take several forms 
not one form several forms knowledge does it take a have a form no it in its essence it is formless it's a quality which takes different forms in different uh, ways in different dimensions in different aspects that's why we have maheshwari and we have mahasaraswati so everything has form and a formless state again when we follow this line of another line of spiritual experience when we go into the indeterminable so we have this um, especially at the overmind plane uh, which shubhendu now describes in the next chapter also that there is a line of experience where in the overmind we can experience that consciousness we go deeper and deeper further from all these name and form from all phenomena human beings have got this capacity to withdraw from all name and form and enter into a state of on the borders of the formless and what happens on the borders of the formless it can experience um the origin or the source whatever we may call it as something which is without any qualities and that's what is known as nirgun and if we deepen further into the nirgun it can absorb itself completely into a totally unqualified featureless state ineffable of which nothing can be spoken so following that line of experience if one follows one can cut off completely oneself with the cosmos and the individuality and declared that the divine is beyond all relations beyond all features he is the utter absolute but on the other side at the same overmind levels one can experience him as not just a vast impersonality but as the personification of all qualities not in an anthropomorphic way but in their origin so when we go there we discover that there is the divine being who is the embodiment of all that we struggle here to embody and it's only logical because why do we experience these things humanly we experience these things because they have some kind of origin some kind of uh, um, because we are striving to perfect them so if they came from the level of matter then they are inexplicable then we can have to only say by chance random chance suddenly human beings uh, you know love was born by random chance we began to have some kind of knowledge or self awareness consciousness began to emerge so that's a kind of absurdity because something which is not at all inherent within the atoms and electrons how can it give rise to this unless we say that it is inherent within it now you see that is the paradox so if consciousness is inherent within atoms electrons and protons then yes it is logical that it will emerge at some point of time if love and knowledge wisdom are inherent within these they will emerge at some point of time and when they emerge within man they seek for their own perfection meaning thereby it's fullness full emergence is yet not complete so when we trail follow this trail we discover that there is an eternal source of all things which is there as it's um, in its fullness and it is here concealed in the inconscient so inconscient is the shadow of that superconscient so that is how it's the logical conclusion which one may draw because let's take more practically i want to discover the source of all love i discovered the divine then i understand what that love is now that whole process is a different thing you know go through the psychic door and discover now when i understand that love within the divine i see that love everywhere including in the atoms because now you understand the thing in this principle and then you see it is the same love which is hidden in the inconscient which is making the atoms come together and ordering them into a harmonious rhythm after all if we look at love as a force it seeks harmony beauty and joy these are the three aspects 
That's what we see in Mahalakshmi. So what does Mahalakshmi do? She ties this entire creation so harmoniously and beautifully. So then you begin to see, okay, it is because of the presence of love. Now this presence is implied within creation. Above, we find it in its original source. So that is Ashwat tree whose roots are above and all the branches are going down. So we discovered that in the origin, there is this uh, absolute origin of things. And there, uh, again, Sagun Brahm, if we take... Um, Further up the experience, we enter into the splendor of the Ishwara. So, these two which appear as opposites to the human mind, when it enters into the contact with the over-mental consciousness, in the supermind, they are reconciled. So, there the Sagun and Nirguna are two sides of one reality. The same can completely absorb itself into a Nirgun state. Why it should be so? Because he is the illimitable, indeterminable originally. See, this is the paradox. He is indeterminable and yet he is the source of all determinations. So how is it possible? It is possible because within the indeterminable, all these things are possible as seeds. But it can enter into a state which is completely freed even from those seed-like determinations. And that is natural because it must keep its utter freedom. That's why it is so. There are two absolutes. One where it is absolute freed of all relations and there where it's an absolute which has entered into all relations. So there are two ways of looking at the absolute and they are not two. They are two poises of the same. So there is the absolute who can free himself from the entire limits, even the determinisms of this creation. It can completely free itself and it is important and necessary. That freedom has to be granted. In fact, if that freedom is not there, then it is not absolute. So see, it's a rational paradox. <laughs> if the absolute has no freedom from its creation, if the creator is bound by his creation, then he is not really free in the true sense. And if he is bound by his creation, something of him is bound to flow into this creation. The absolute will be present in every relativity that we see. So there is these two statuses of the absolute. One where he is free from all creation, not bound by anything. Not only indeterminable, not only illimitable, but also indeterminable. Because there is nothing in this cosmos that by which one can really understand that. One can enter into that. That's it. But the same absolute lays towards creation and within himself all these seeds emerge and these seeds were there as some potentiality or possibility and therefore they are cast into creation. Now there is one question that what is the time because again we may say that absolute is there is an absolute beyond the absolute. <laughs> an absolute free from everything and an absolute which is enters into creation at least is the origin, the supreme transcendence. So we have to remember that point there is no time. So they are coexistent realities. We are talking of a moment which is beyond time. And that's why it is said that not only the Lord is eternal, but also his Maya is eternal. It, it seems to start in a cycle and end. But does it really end? No, it is absorbed back into the Lord. So it, nature also has no beginning and no end. It's continuously creating. And when it seems like it has ceased to create, it just withdraws itself into the eternal. So the absolute, the one the supreme, call it whatever, can simultaneously assume these two states. One is where it casts itself, leans towards creation 
as the Satchidanand and then the Supermind and all the rest. Or it can withdraw completely and become an absolute which is free from everything. And this is a positive way of looking at it. Because there is a negative way of looking at it, this absolute, that it has no relation with anything. Therefore, there is nothingness at the beginning of the world. But here, it's a positive way of looking at it that it is not nothingness, it's absolute freedom. And we want that for our, you know, supreme divine. So that's how, you know, uh, Shubhinda says that freedom walks with every turn of it. Because he's there and his intervention can completely change the whole course of things. And ultimately, the final determinism is there. That's why in Savitri, we see that as Savitri goes further and further, the last point where the entire law of creation has to change, she has to reach this absolute, which is neither form, nor name, nothing. And it's like it emerges like a voice or a supreme vibration and the boon is granted. So here we see simultaneously these three levels at which this one reality manifests. One is the transcendent, which is beyond, but even in the transcendent, there is the force which is already there. It's inherent. So existence and force are one. Consciousness are one. They are not two. Then we see it at the cosmic level where it becomes the base for not one cosmos, but many cosmoses to be born. And there we see that this uh, um, power which is inherent within the supreme that takes the form of a Vidyamai and the Avidyamai Maya. Avidyamai Maya to start with. It is the power, formative power of the Lord. And we also see that it's not just manifest as a cosmos or many cosmos, but it is also many, many worlds, but it is also manifest as an individual. So within the individual, it becomes Prakriti. Now what really is Prakriti? It is the same power. So we can use different names. So Brahman and Maya. So Brahman is the indefinable who is there as the absolute. But in Indian thought, in Western metaphysics, he is the absolute beyond any relation, featureless. But in Indian metaphysical thought, we are told that Brahman is this and that and everything. He is the bird and beast and stone. But he is not just there as this only a apparent presence, he is also there as a dynamic movement. Now this comes in this very interesting story. It's a very uh, well-known fable uh, and often is recounted as a humorous tale but it has a, its profoundest meaning. And what is this fable? The fable is that a man heard that all is Brahman. So the disciple came out and he saw the elephant coming from the front and uh, the Mahavat sitting on the elephant told him that get out of the bay. So he says, no, this is Brahman, I am Brahman, that is Brahman and Brahman can do no harm to Brahman. And sure enough, he was thrown by the elephant, broke his bones, went to the master and told him, why did you teach me? All is Brahman and see what happened. And then the master tells him, why didn't you listen to the Mahavad Brahman? So it, see, the story sounds very simple. But Brahman has become not just the, it's not just within Brahman. Brahman has become the elephant. Brahman speaks through the Mahavad. Brahman is the disciple and all that moves within him. So at once we have the Brahman and Maya and that's why these are the two which go together all the time. And then of course this takes the form of uh, um, the Lord and the Purusha, the cosmic being. So this cosmic being, according, you know, depending on which way we define him, we have this 
prakriti and we have the ishvara and his shakti so these are the three levels at which we can understand simultaneously brahman and maya purusha and prakriti ishvara and shakti and the cosmic purusha there are multiple purushas where for each purusha there is seems to be his own prakriti but it's again just as there is one purusha who becomes many purushas there is one universal nature prakriti which becomes as if it is different different because of the action of the avidyamay maya therefore i say my nature and your nature but originally it is one nature and actually if you see minutely every movement of creation is in every human being this is a very discomforting Uh, discovery because before that discovery you are a good guy but that illusion goes away because you discover every movement is there in some way or the other then the third reconciliation is so we see the re- reconciliation between uh, creation and the creator between movement and the stable basis and then the third reconciliation is eternal and the individual so again they look like opposites individual is something which manifests in time and goes away but eternally some someone or that poise where it is always present it is not subject to time not only not subject to time it is beyond anything that time and timelessness can conceive eternal is not timelessness eternal is beyond time completely so there are there is a whole line of yoga in which it is believed that the individual's reality is only illusory and you can when one wakes up to the truth then there is no more any anything like an individual the problem there is threefold one is if an individual has no reality we have already spoken about it then by the uh, mukti of one individual the whole cosmos should become free because <laughs> this is there is no individual reality so one must discover that there is the one self and all else should be dismantled it's like the dismantling of a whole bubble in which you saw multiple beings multiple individualities but there was none so one point where you puncture it's like a balloon you puncture at one point of time let one molecule of air escape and the whole balloon collapses but this doesn't happen that's one second is that even if an individual withdraws and absorbs himself into the eternal there are multiple purushas multiple individualities what happens to them in this cosmic play so this is the second problem which comes up with this idea that uh an individual withdraws uh, the cosmos doesn't collapse and there is this continuation of multiple individualities within this creation so therefore uh, this is true of the ego individuality which is subject to time and time and space but there is a true individuality which we have already read about passingly about the psychic being which is takes up form and name but continues to persist so there is a persistence of our true individuality which is not subject to the dissolutions of different things that's something very interesting which we can just touch upon and then proceed to the uh, most important reconciliation in this indeterminates if we really go back we will discover that there are only two things which are the origin that is space and time all else is <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, so space what is space and shrivindra gives a very interesting how is space and time connected to the brahman so brahman extends himself and becomes space and the energy of brahman which moves becomes time so that's how we see if there are same objects constantly moving without any change of their relations there'll be no time 
It is only when there is a change of relation between two events. That's how time is measured actually. When there is a change of relation between two events. So the energy of the Brahman creates time when it becomes mobile. The energy of the Brahman extending itself becomes space. So again we see that space and time come from the same reality. And then the last reconciliation which is very striking and has practical consequences is divine and the undivine. So what really is the undivine? In a certain sense all is the divine. As you know we in everything there is a divine. So how come we have this sense of the undivine? So one way to look at it is that we have a flawed way of looking. We are ignorant so we are looking at one portion. So because of that portion which we are seeing and not in its totality therefore our very conception of undivine is erroneous. So this is one way of washing the hands off. That there is nothing which is undivine. It's just an erroneous way of looking at it. It's a small section. And uh, well, if you look at the totality, everything is in its own place. And when you look at things in their vast scope, then there is nothing which is really speaking undivine. But everything has its own place uh, in terms of time and space. If you look at it like that, there is no undivine. But this doesn't um, actually answer fully. Because there is in man something that aspires for good and beauty and truth and light. It's not satisfied with this explanation. So that there comes the problem. Because while the intellectual mind can say very easily there is no undivine. It's nothing but an ignorant way of looking at things. But there is in us something which does seek for um, a perfection. So there is two ways of looking at it. One is that this imperfection is our perfection. Like for an animal, the perfection of a snake is to be a snake. The perfection of a uh, bird is to be a bird of whatever species it belongs. Perfection of a stone is to be a stone. And the perfection of human being is to remain in this state whatever he is. And that way we wash away this whole idea that there is nothing undivine. Nature has limited you, stay within your limits. To say stay in limits is your safety. Why are you bothering about the idea of divine and undivine? This is what is given to you. Do this. Or be this, there are people who do say that, that you know, let me flow with it. Well, that is the flow and you flow with it. And this seems a very plausible <laughs> answer that whoever created the limits is responsible. Now, Shobindo, one thing he does is in the divine and divine, he doesn't pass the buck to man. That it is man who must be a moral being and therefore he has to decide and he has to choose well, Shobindo raises the question that even if he is doing it in his ignorance or lack of will, incapacity of will, why this incapacity and limitation came at all? So here he goes back to the origin that there is some reason, some purpose, again the logic of the infinite, that there is a state of incapacity, there is a state of ignorance and there is a state in which we are paralyzed to act even when we become aware. And it's very easy to understand it from some practical examples. So, you know, when you have to um, concentrate energy so that it can become very powerful. So, what is the way of doing it? You limit it. You know, that's the whole principle of pressure cooker. So, you, <laughs> you contain it. And when you contain it, very strangely the energy grows. Because now you have compressed so when the divine limits himself, actually he is creating a ground for illimitability. Not diffusion. He concentrates within an individual who experiences limitations. But because within this limitation in the pressure cooker, 
it knows itself as illimitable there is this need to burst and there is a reason why it doesn't burst prematurely because the vegetable that is being cooked will be all gone so this stifling that we experience because of the limits and incapacity are also part of the plan at one place there are two very interesting aphorisms of shirbindo where he puts it in a very interesting way he says if god assigns me a place in hell i do not know i do not see why i should struggle i should accept it so first level is acceptance that everything is in its place accept it this first but then he says if god assigns me uh, if god keeps me in hell with one hand and lifts me towards heaven with the other i must be with the hand that is taking us to heaven so we see that within man is the same consciousness which on one side has created the limits creates within it the urge to exceed it that's what i think yesterday we were talking about that you know the moment within us an aspiration wakes us wakes up towards something more beautiful higher than where we are is a sign that that apna time aa gaya the time has come to go beyond this limits otherwise it won't come so we see both these things that each to his own state is true but this state must exceed towards greater and greater higher degrees is equally true and its practical implication are the mother says do not disturb is there in the gita as na buddhi vedam the one who is the knower does not create division in the minds of those who do not know do not give a doctrine which is you know meant for a soul which has become a seeker and is on the forward evolutionary path because you know there will be a kind of disbalance there are people who need to go through life who need to go through all the ups and downs and experience that moment when the bird is feeling caged and its wings are growing and the butterfly is ready to fly fly and then it must come out so there is a all this carry sense if we understand that it's an evolutionary world so things that were valid and proper at one point of time become invalid and improper at another point of time and we have number of examples one is of course gladiator the movie where people met in the arena and it was a do or die <laughs> but now we don't do that now at that point of time it was valid because human consciousness had to be trained that way there was a time when it was perfectly valid that if you are annoyed if you see an injustice you take out the sword and slay the person it was regarded as a heroic act try it now and you will be punished that wo to baad mein why didn't you go to the court because now it's a mentalized world of course we are realizing that by mind we cannot solve the problem <laughs> probably that instant justice had its meaning but now we have to reach a still greater point where we have to go to the roots why this man is what he is and change him so we are entering through this uh, you know at one point it was okay to take a sword and strike somebody who is an evil doer then comes no no you can't declare him an evil doer just like that so all kinds of people will come there will be political drama then psychologists will discover it is because of an extra y chromosome but the mind cannot solve it then when you go beyond mind then you discover what is the real cause and you begin to change that's why prison reforms are coming which is sign of the supramental force which is working that now we speak about reformation and final and this transformation so in transformation 
basically a spiritual being does not see people as bad good in this way in every evil there is the possibility of good that is lurking which can emerge through the evolutionary process so in ratnakar there is the valmiki who is hidden in anguli mal there is the anand who is hidden who can emerge through an evolutionary process equally we can say that behind every saint there is a past and so we can equally say uh, behind every sinner there is a future so it's because these are possibilities which emerge now these possibilities come from where from the supreme who himself is all good all beautiful but he has arranged it in space and time through an evolutionary process so when we understand evolution when we understand that what is evil evil is something which is not in its proper time and place it was all right that at a point of time human beings were given certain rules very strict rules things like that but there is a time when humanity has to grow into more compassion shubindu puts it like this that the law of moses where an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth is replaced by the law of christ which is the law of forgiveness and compassion so this is we can understand evil uh, undivine only if we understand the evolutionary process what is undivine today was divine yesterday uh, for the animal when a tiger pounces upon a deer we don't use the word undivine it is perfect within its nature type you even enjoy when you look at it oh wow what a leap what a whole thing becomes like a wonder that time you don't think that it is an undivine act but in human beings this double consciousness comes this sense that there is something which is not quite right and this not just about the moral aspect but something still deeper in us feels that it is not quite right and therefore the undivine of yesterday the divine of yesterday becomes undivine of today when mother was asked this question if all is divine then when you say um, divine manifestation what are you really meaning she says the divine of the past must give way to the divine of the future that is the evolutionary progression of the avatars so parshuram is god but you know become a parshuram and go out is <laughs> okay we worship him at his place but parshuram must be replaced by rama so if ram becomes parshuram in today's time it will be like putting the cycle back rama must become krishna and krishna must you know the krishna within us the krishna hood must go further towards shurvindo because that is the perfection of life so this is how we have to understand things that today what we call and in fact she said very interesting something she said when we use this mantra when i use this mantra om namo bhagavate so she says i invoke the divine of tomorrow this was also asked to shubhinda in a different way that the mother does everything because he said in all that is done in the universe it is the divine with his yoga maya veil behind who is doing so he says so everything is done by the mother ultimately so why should i do any effort at all she says it's true that all is done by the mother but you must understand that there is a lower network of forces which also eventually comes from her but where she is hidden behind and a higher network of forces where she the diti becomes aditi and all the adityas are her children so we have to graduate from this state where her lower workings to her own higher workings higher energies so you have to move from here to there so while as the world mother she is informing everybody with the intelligence with the cunning of the cunning the intelligence of the uh, even the scoundrel the leap of the tiger all this it is she there is only one energy one power 
But that doesn't settle the question of divine and undivine. So the question is settled if we understand that there is an evolutionary progression. So this is what we are going to, we'll just read a few passages. So this we have already spoken of that if you look at from the science, actually towards science, this infinite or indeterminate existence reveals itself as an energy known not by itself but by its works which throws up in its motion waves of energism and in them a multitude of infinitesimals. These grouping themselves to form larger infinitesimals become a basis for all creation of the energy, even those farthest away from the material basis. For the emergence of a world of organized matter, for the emergence of life, for the emergence of consciousness, for all the still unexplained activities of um, evolutionary nature. So, he says um, that while we can understand all this, but it still doesn't explain anything. Uh, we see, for instance, how a fixed formula for the combination of oxygen and hydrogen comes to determine the appearance of water, which is evidently something more than a combination of gases, a new creation, a new form of substance, a material manifestation of a quite new character. We see that a seed develops into a tree. We follow the line of the process of production and we utilize it. But we do not discover how a tree can grow out of a seed, how the life and form of the tree come to be implied in the substance of energy of the seed. So that's where there is something which we cannot determine by all our science and yet it is the one which is driving the cosmos and becomes the determinate. So... This is one and then he speaks about Brahman and Maya and Ishwara and Shakti. Our conception of the infinite is formlessness but everywhere we see form and form surrounding us and it can be and is affirmed of the divine being that he is at once form and the formless. For here too the apparent contradiction does not correspond to a real opposition. The formless is not a negation of the power of formation but the condition for the infinite's free formation. For otherwise there would be a single form or only a fixity or sum of possible forms in a finite universe. So this formless state is a wonderful state. It is free to create any form. It is totipotent. It is omnipotent, omnipresent. And then from there, number of forms can emerge because it is infinite. If there was not this togetherness of the formless and the form, there would be perhaps only one form or just a few forms in this universe. So... This incoercible unity in all divisions and diversities is the mathematics of the infinite indicated in a verse of the Upanishads. This is the complete and that is the complete. Subtract the complete from the complete, the complete is the remainder. So <laughs> we know this. <laughs> For the Maya Brahman is at once the magic and the logic of an infinitely variable oneness. So when we think about oneness, we think of a monotone. Because that's how the finite conceives it. The finite cannot conceive of mutually opposing also as aspects of oneness. But if you look at even in everyday experience, see, ever see this? Um, because I have actually seen a cheetah and a deer. Now, actually, if you look at it, uh, or a tiger and a deer, you will see it is the same energy which is working in a tiger and same energy in a deer. They are not two. So there is a oneness, and yet it has created a variability in the play. Why it has created, 
ultimately we can use the word delight or because these seeds are present in the indeterminable. If indeed there were only a rigid monotone of limited oneness and sameness, there would be no place for reason and logic, for logic consists in, in the right perceptions of relations. The highest work of reason is to find the one substance, the one law, the cementing latent reality, connecting and unifying the many. So this we see in religions which speak of one, but they speak of one only as how they have conceived. So they end up fighting or they want to destroy everything because oneness is falsified. That It's the logic of the finite. That one means there is one God, but it should be just as my God, my conception of God. But there is a much vaster conception of the one. He is infinite. So this God who must be only one type of God is apart from being a very boring God would be actually the God. This is a typical God of religion. And that's why the mother says is the overmind. Um, you know each aspect is taken up, picked up. And it is a God and an empire in its own right. But there is one aspect. It could be a God of justice in which case all that you know is about Justice, or it could be a God of love and mercy, and that's why we see Shurabindu why he speaks of supermind because he speaks about perfection. Perfection is not possible at the overmind level. At the overmind level, there will be Godheads who will have their empires, and at the highest level, they may be friendly. But as their little little children go into this world, they begin to fight that you know whether Vishnu is greater or Shiva is greater because this is how uh, this is what we see in the. Puranic tales and why this takes place. So it is through this power of self-limitation that the infinite consciousness uh, also has this power not only of self-limitation but of self-absorption in the trance. So that's what people experience when they uh, go into higher states and they go into a trance where there is complete self-absorption. They think it is the ultimate reality but again it is the overmind experience. From where you pick up one line and enter into self-absorption. But in the one there is no such antagonism. It is self-absorbed, self-wrapped in a mute, lone ecstasy. At the same time he is playing with multiplicity. So repeatedly Shurabindo reminds us of the logic of the infinite. So we have this... Um, Brahman, the reality, is the self-existent absolute and Maya is the consciousness and force of this self-existence. But with regard to the universe, Brahman appears as the self of all existence, Atman, the cosmic self, but also as the supreme self, transcendent of his own cosmicity and at the same time individual, universal in each being. Maya can then be seen as the self-power, Atma Shakti of the Atman. It is true, I mean Brahman becomes Atman, the cosmic spirit and the power is Maya. It is true that when we first become aware of this aspect, it is usually in a silence of the whole being. In the same way we can become aware of it as the Purusha separate from Prakriti, the conscious being standing back from the activities of nature. So there is this possibility, all possibilities are there, one of them is separating itself from the movement. And then he speaks about space and time. And then of course the dissolution of the individual is that the higher truth. He says no, the eternal is as much in the individual as it is in the cosmos. And therefore there is a 
uh, individual himself must rise to a level. So within each individual, the cosmos and the transcendent is present. So simultaneously. So it is because the transcendent has become the cosmos and the individual. So we must reclaim all of this. And that we can see that how within us so many possibilities are there latent which emerge. So all these three terms of our existence can, should emerge through a process of evolution. So, and when he speaks about divine and undivine, for certain practical ends, we have to say that a thing is good or bad, beautiful or ugly, just or unjust, and act upon that statement. But if we limit ourselves by it, we do not get at real knowledge. The law of contradictions here is only valid in so far as two different and opposite statements cannot be true of the same thing at the same time. In the same field, in the same respect, from the same point of view and for the same practical purpose. So basically it's a question of time, space uh, that we find it is evil. The same movement at one point could be evil and the same movement at another point of time is good. This great war, destruction of violent, all upheaving revolution for example may present itself to us as an evil a virulent and catastrophic disorder and it is so in certain respects results ways of looking at it but from others it may be a great good since it rapidly clears the field for a new good or a more satisfying order no man is simply good or simply bad every man is a mixture of contraries even we find these contraries often inextricably mixed up in a single feeling a single action it is so true there is behind the movement of true love and there is outside desire both can be simultaneously present and yet we have to keep on that's why the mother speaks of keeping that ingot of gold and discarding the husk so in the same thing Things are, but we have a tendency to classify and categorize it as good or bad. But even if it, it is there in single feeling, then leave aside all the rest. All kinds of conflicting qualities, powers, values meet together and run into each other to make up our action, life, nature. In fact, we can only know by getting to the divine view and purpose in things, not merely looking at our own. So there have been several ways, as I said, of explaining it. Shubhinda reveals in Life Divine from the extreme idea that this illusion, which is of course absurd, or that everything uh, is made like this. It has to be like this. This is how nature has made it. So don't question whether it is good or bad. It is as it is. Uh, this another way, but this is contradicted by a deeper impulsion in man towards a greater good, towards a greater possibility. Or we can simply try to pass on the whole buck to man the moral idea of good and bad, where man has, you know, created problem. But it is not man, but his ignorance and incapacity. So when you, the moment we say ignorance and incapacity, the bug goes to the origin of ignorance and incapacity. So it goes to avidyamai, from there to vidyamai, and it refers back to the transcendent divine. So Shubhinda that way takes up the burden of sin from our head and <laughs> takes it. He says, I am going to free you. And that's what I suppose, you know, this Mahavakya of the Gita, Aam Tva Sarva Pape Masucha. So, he takes away that burden. So, and toward the end he says, in this, but it may be said 
that the reason for the divine will and delight in such a difficult and tormented progressive manifestation. So ultimately, a manifestation of this kind, self-creation or Leela, would not seem justifiable if it were imposed on the unwilling creature. But it will be evident that the ascent of the embodied spirit must be there already. This is what we spoke about, that our souls agreed for this adventure. We said, okay, we'll play with ignorance. Do whatever it may. Because we also know that something of us is right there. Uh, We have forgotten it, but that's where playing with ignorance means. There must have been not only the will of the divine Purusha to make the cosmic creation possible, but the ascent of the individual Purusha to make the individual manifestation possible. But it may be said that the reason for the divine will and delight in such a difficult and tormented progressive manifestation and the reason for the soul's ascent to it is still a mystery. But okay, fine, but why this kind of extreme situation? And there he says something which, you know, at least I fully gel with, you know, the the joy that comes with a supreme adventure. The mother uses this word, this is an adventure of consciousness. And he says, but it is not altogether a mystery if we look at our own nature and can suppose some kindred movement of being in the beginning as its cosmic origin. On the contrary, a play of self-concealing and self-finding is one of the most strenuous joys that conscious being can give to itself a play of extreme attractiveness. One of the common games that children used to play earlier was Luka Chupi, hide and seek. And if you hid just like that, he said, no, 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 we don't want you. Hide, it must be seeking with difficulty. And another which still people do is this, uh, what is that called, treasure hunt. You know, because now that is a game which you can't play otherwise. So, like, (laughs) this is the treasure hunt. Uh, Of course, it's a long process, but the good uh, thing is that by the time we become aware of the misery, time for closing the chapter is close. So, there is the ignorance also defends us from (laughs) from a lot of pain. There are a lot of people who don't care. They are happy with the way things are. We may think that they are unhappy. You know, sometimes you have to learn that how this world is created when you see in totality. So there is this, you know, often we'll see, we all experience, but to cut a long story short, this is, was this maidservant who, you know, came and complained, my husband beats me and he drunkard and all. And, um, you know, some people rushing and take her to the police. When, you know, that moment she said, okay. Afterwards she blamed them. Say, he's my husband. Okay, I came and cried. Why did you take me and, you know, uh, asked me to speak against him. Now you see, there is that state <laughs> in which <laughs> it is a strange paradox. So that's why for a long time we are kept in a hard shell of ignorance, which saves us from too swift an awakening to world pain. But when we awaken to the world pain, that means the labor pain has started. So either a caesarean delivery or a normal delivery. But we will be delivered to a new consciousness, the new birth. So, there is no greater pleasure for man himself than a victory, which is in its very principle a conquest over difficulties. A victory in knowledge, a victory in power, a victory in creation, over the impossibilities of creation. A delight in the conquest over an anguished toil and a hard ordeal of suffering. At the end of separation is the intense joy of union. The joy of a meeting with a self from which we were divided. Just imagine what a joy that is. Imagine India playing with uh, Namibia. Who will watch the match? 
it there must be a team which is you know then you say oh everybody watches so if you have to play a game how will you enjoy playing with a very weak opponent where you can just quickly defeat the opponent so there is a joy in this challenge this conquest this victory which the human soul must learn all souls which develop they develop this state within them and therefore they don't seek escape they want to bend the difficult bow of god they want to uh, you know be a warrior heroic souls mother has used the term in this battlefield so there is a joy which we cannot have in the place of gods the moment the asuras come they start running here and there some give a fight but it's not easy but look at the human consciousness it takes all the challenges the intense waiting longing and then the meeting what is the fun if you suddenly met one day and say oh hi okay let's get married let's be together no joy in it after two days you will say what was the fun so you have this waiting and meeting and longing there, <laughs> there is an attraction in ignorance itself because it provides us with the joy of discovery the surprise of new and unforeseen creation a great adventure of the soul there is a joy of the journey and the search and the finding a joy of the battle and the crown the labor and the reward of labor if delight of existence be the secret of creation this too is one delight of existence it can be regarded as the reason or at least one reason of this apparently paradoxical and contrary leela but apart from this choice of the individual purusha there is a deeper truth inherent in the original existence which finds its expression in the plunge into inconscience its result is a new affirmation of sachidananda in its apparent opposite if the infinite's right of various self manifestation is granted this too as a possibility of its manifestation is intelligible and has its profound profound significance in other words god becomes greater by objectivizing himself and hiding in in conscience that is the great beauty and marvel of creation something in him could not be without creation and when we look at it what could not be without creation individual soul okay adventure hide and seek what could not be the bliss of a manifold unity this is the bliss of oneness but not of a manifold unity what could not be the flaming ecstasy of love where all is together and one when love is born the extreme force of love when there is seeming opposite which has to be pulled out so because of this mystery he who is all consciousness all delight all existence became this which is seemingly achit andhkar agyan avidya and mithya namaste uh namaste alokda um in this in the science of living the mother talks about uh, becoming more and more conscious uh, of yourself and she talks about uh becoming aware of the origin of the various movements the contradictory wills and movements that drive you to action and then in uh, you know in one of the talks about the state of affairs in india i think in 1971 she talked about uh fear falsehood and ignorance and then when she was asked what is the saddest failure she said insincerity so could you kind of relate the two and uh, talk about the origin of insincerity is it related more to some specific part of our being or uh what's what's uh, the source uh, yeah so uh 
we can take it like this uh, the source of insincerity in its origin it is simply that nature in us which includes mind vital physical and more specifically the surface nature which is so much caught up by the world movement is unable to follow the aspiration of the soul so when there is no such aspiration then there is uh, you know the word insincerity has a different connotation people use it in terms of what work they are doing etc but when there is aspiration and the soul wants to climb higher and the nature within us is not assisting it or rather limiting it so there are levels of insincerity like the mind keeps throwing doubt or the heart keeps uh, you know um, reaching out to objects of desire or uh, the vital inner clings to attachments obstinately to ambitions uh, and to lust and fear and greed so uh, while there is a part in us the soul is always sincere it knows the divine and it begins to seek but nature resists it ties so many fetters around it so that is the first insincerity and it's important to recognize it um, that these are within me and i need to uh, you know change them or get rid of them so when we recognize it then the next step is that see which movement can be uplifted refined and transmuted uh, for instance uh, attachment can be transmuted into true love it is possible and it should be done uh, ambition can be transmuted into the will for excellence which is a wonderful thing but ambition is like when you are comparing it with others when you want a place for yourself and a name for yourself so there is a false movement and there is a true movement of everything in nature um, fear has to be uh, transubstituted by trust and faith agitation by peace and actually if you see there is the formula of the divine life how to do it by growth of the soul and its pressure on these parts now initially there will be some part or the other which will respond very beautifully to the soul in most human beings is the higher mind or the you know inner uh, vital the emotional part and we have to keep on growing and making uh, like she says recalcitrant children these other parts will refuse lust will refuse fear will refuse so we have to keep growing and putting it slight to abandon is was the old way there the question of sincerity is only that if you believe in nirvana abandon the world and go for nirvana that is the right approach but there there is a gross insincerity people talk about maya and all this maya in the crude sense and yet they continue to cling on to the world now that is a too crass and insincerity so if you really believe in nirvana then you have to just abandon the world follow the ascetic ideal uh, as the ascetics say and go there but if you believe in uh, you know perfection or there is a cry for perfection in the being then we have to work very patiently with every part and raise it to its ultimate absolute potential and possibility that's a very painstaking detailed work requires tremendous endurance and faith and above all the grace of the divine mother so sincerity is in its ultimate uh, sense it is to lift up every part in us to its highest possibility now uh, you know it not just thinking nicely but lifting thinking beyond the limits of the mental frame to still higher and higher levels it's not just feeling good and being good to everybody it's lifting this sense of goodness it should be informed with a greater knowledge this love itself should become a love which is self existent without any expectation so all this is uh, a long process but that is how sincerity is to be defined where every part is lifted to its highest possibility and organized around the soul aspiration 
it goes with the soul it's wedded to the soul nature and soul are wedded to each other in the perfect way that's what sincerity that's what sincerity is the most difficult thing and one who has it at least the central sincerity that one is willing to do it has got the real key to yoga one of the keys and if one is not willing not even willing to recognize that you know problems are within me uh, then there is uh, you know then then first by the blows of life one will awaken that it's in me that i have to look and change yeah sir madhavi prasad ji is asking how could we understand the differences between the terms self individual and being most of the time we are using these terms alternatively which makes uh, it really uncomfortable to conceive the metaphysics yeah 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 thank thank you for saying that this confusion has been created because many times these words have been born out of without real reference to the living experience so what is self so self when we look at one way brahman which is the absolute reality Uh, manifest itself as self or atman now this atman is not individual it is like an impersonal spirit which is all around so by impersonal spirit is meant the pure um, the purest sense you can get behind cosmos so that is the spirit which is all pervading in everything and it carries an atmosphere of purity and peace so this is how we define this atma and it's it is instinct with a luminous uh, power so there is within it power which is held back and there is within it that luminosity the light of knowledge which it can throw on everything that spirit now this or the atman okay the next is being so being is of course the cosmic being the purusha now this something which is uh, impersonal takes a more personal aspect so being is someone with whom you can relate to so being is the purusha who is at once the cosmic um, you know divine at the same time he is also many 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 individual purushas so within us there is this play of the one and the many and then of course there is the transcendent and uh, transcendent is known as you know paratpar and many such many such things so when we use the word being we are normally referring to this um, cosmic purusha or the um, you know the supreme purusha and all of us somebody whom with whom we can relate and then there is this absolute we can use any term that we like so these are the three realities atma then of course um, purusha and the third is ishvara so brahman can take all these aspects ishvara transcends everything he is the purushottama of the gita and if you want to put it where does atma fit in is the akshara akshar brahma and the purushas the individuals so we have this in the mutable the sharobhav all these are uh, these are the three levels basically what we have to remember is that there are three levels at which the one divine manifest and then yes there is a fourth in which he is beyond all the three but contains all of them within him itself so there is in the mutable world as many many purushas he manifests and there is the cosmic level where he becomes the vast impersonal and there is of course the purushottama or one who transcends both and yet carries both of them within himself its perfect description is in the gita in that vishwarup darshan where we see all the three come together but terms are confusing atma is often used to refer to our individual atma but uh, that is the psychic being in shobindo's terminology it is the chaitya purusha the antaratma 
but because it it is from the cosmic being so it is also used simultaneously self realization ho gaya now that self realization is often referred to as the realization of the uh, you know brahman in its vast impersonality also sometime nirgun brahman so the problem with these terminology is that different systems have described it differently so one standard system which we can follow is the way of the gita and should be the more or less takes that but further qualifies because the gita doesn't speak much about the maya and uh, you know the nirgun sagun it does mention but shurbindo takes that basic system and develops his own terminology so that's what we see here brahman purusha and ishwara ishwara is the lord is beyond all things purusha is the personal self or god as in his personal uh, with whom we can connect and relate and brahman is the same atma is brahman becoming a vast impersonal basis they are together one and same realities in three poises thank you so much sir for clarifying our doubts we can we can take another example uh, shiva when he is lying below um, kali's feet providing the stable basis of creation is the atma who is you know provides the basis for creation when shiva is uh, dancing and creating and destroying worlds he is the cosmic being and when shiva withdraws into his ultimate mystery he is the param shiva so we can same with like krishna shiva vishnu different ways of looking at it but these are the three poises yes so thank you so much sir for clarifying our doubts and with this we have reached the end of today's uh, lecture we will observe a minute of silence and then we can call it